Our scripture reading this morning will be from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. people show up come from good morning I'm really excited and nervous to share some of the Bible with you today um, I would like kind of an experiment for everyone to think of the one million number one million that's a lot think of one million anything rabbits feet cars Think how many that is. Now, think of one million books. How many books would that be? How, how much space would it um, take up? I don't know if this is one million books. I tried to find a picture on the internet of one million books. I couldn't find it, so I just said a lot of books, and that's what I got. But how long would it take to print and publish one million books? I think it might take three years, five years. One million books, that sounds like a lot. Actually, that's a third of a year. Every year, three million books are published. And that's titles, not just, you know, like, um, I think it was uh, Joshua that said that uh, um, Harry Potter has like 500 million books, you know, printed out. Every year, three million books. It was um, Google, somebody referenced that uh, Google Books decided they're going to count how many books have been published since 1440. 1440 is when the printing press, the Gutenberg printing press was invented. And they came up with 129,864,880 books published since 1440. That's as of 2010. So the point here is that if any book becomes a classic, if anybody book becomes like widely known, that's a big deal because there's a lot of competition. But there is one book to rule them all. And no surprise anybody here, that would be the Bible. No book has been venerated, villainized, dissected, thought about, rep, wrote about than this book here. In fact, it's been stated that if we lost all the Bibles in the world that, you know, like Fahrenheit 455, 451 appeared and they burn all the books. <clears throat> we can still construct the New Testament from the writings of the uh, church founders, so to speak, or the um, pastors of old from their letters because they referenced so many verses from the Bible. We can still construct it. But uh, no wonder that this book has been around and that everybody knows you can go anywhere in the world say something about the Bible and someone knows about it. 
because the author himself is God. Um, we saw that in the scripture reading today in 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. <clears throat> All scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired or in, um, means God breathed. <clears throat> so today, we're going to look a little bit about, the, we're going to look through the Bible, we're going to see how the books are grouped and some of their definitions. Um, the only thing that's about the same as the, the Bible stands unique amongst all the books that have ever been written, the only thing that's the same is that they all use words. The Bible has over 700,000 words in 66 books. <clears throat> some of those are easier to understand than others. But the first group that we're going to look at First thing that we're going to look at is Genesis. Genesis has a meaning. I'm quoting from Oxford Languages. It means origin or mode of um, formation of something. And I will say that these books were titled by man. I've not seen anywhere where God told a prophet, hey, the first 150 pages of my book, I want it to be called Genesis. You know, next one, Exodus. I think that's a good deal. <clears throat> but uh, even with that being said, I think that uh, man did do a pretty good job of titling these books. So Genesis. If you know the word, you know a little bit about what it's, what it's going to cover. And we know because we've read Genesis through several times, I'm sure. It starts with the beginning of the universe, the beginning of man, the first civilizations, the first time when... Uh, Man started to calling on God. The next book is Exodus. Exodus, and again, this is from Oxford Languages, means a going out, a leaving of an area. And one of the big stories of Exodus is Moses leading the people, people of God, out of Egypt. The next book we run into is Numbers. I'm sorry, the next book we're going to is Leviticus. Leviticus, and this is from Botanica.com. It's from Latin, and it just means of or relating to Levi. In Leviticus, we, we find out that God picks the tribe of Levi to be the priest. And he tells them, this is going to be your duties. This is what you're going to do. So Leviticus is about the Levites. The next book we have is now Numbers. What I found interesting when I was looking at this, <clears throat> Christians will call this book Numbers. Um, it's got a census in it that's taken up. We know how many um, people were now in the, in the wilderness. The Hebrews, they call this book In the Wilderness. They, the way they name their books is just by the, the first um, the first sentence, basically, in each book. <clears throat> because it also deals with the wilderness wanderings. Um, I still think Numbers is a good name because not only does it deal with the census, but it also tells about the number of people that died in the wilderness because they did not go into the promised land. Find out that um, that generation passed away. 
and we have Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy from Britannica.com is defined as, it's from Greek, it means a copy or repetition. It's a, basically kind of a second reading of the law. Not only is it a second reading of the law, but um, Moses recaps the history of the Hebrew race before he starts reading the law to them. And I think it was uh, Sean that said he also gives kind of a commentary on the law. So it's a little more interesting to read the law in Deuteronomy than it is Exodus and Leviticus. Because you have uh, Moses every now and stopping and saying, this is what this means. This is why this happened. So let's count them. What do we got? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What do we have? Five? Yeah, we have five. We like to group those together. We call it the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, penta, means five, took is books. So the uh, scholars of the day like to, um, like to call that the Pentateuch. The other penta that's important to Christians is the Pentecost. Penta, P-E-N-T-E, -E. in this case is 50. Cost is day, 50th day. The Pentecost was always, was always um, done on the 50th day after the Passover. Pentecost is, of course, important to us because in Acts 2, we see the formation of the church. I'm not going to go through all the groupings of the Bible because there's a lot of them. But the next we hit is what's called the wisdom books. There's five of those. And I've always wondered about Ecclesiastes. How did that get named? And has anybody ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? Anybody ever read the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes? Because if you have, the answer to that is right there in front of us the whole time. If we turn to Ecclesiastes 1, it states this, <clears throat> the words of the preacher, the son of, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, the words of the preacher, and if you look, I finally had to pull out my unabridged Webster's Dictionary to find out um, etymology of Ecclesiastes because when I asked uh, Google it kept on saying one of the books of the Bible I'm like yeah I know that but it means church assembly or preacher um, it does have some other renderings too like church business is like ecclesiastical business but Ecclesiastes preacher he, um, he, he says that right there in the beginning preacher son of David King in Jerusalem. And then our wisdom books again, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, depending on your translation. Then the next, um, we also have Psalm. Psalm means a sacred song or a hymn. The next we come to is another division called the Major and the Minor Prophets. 
What's the difference between a major profit and a minor profit? Are they one more important? The other one's smaller? Well, in a way, the major, the major profits were simply they've got more wrote about them. They, they did more writing. You'll see that the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, will, have, will be bigger, more pages than the minor prophets. There's 12 minor prophets, and I can't name them off. Um, <clears throat> Jeremiah wrote two. He wrote Jeremiah and he wrote Lamentations. Lamentation, a lamentation is an expression of deep sorrow. If you turn to Lamentations 1, we're looking at 1, uh, one through 5. The background here is that um, we've got the divided kingdom. Israel has already been taken away. Jerusalem, we're like, we're Judah. We, we come from this line of, of David. We have the temple. The temple of Solomon has stood for 400 years at this point. And it's where God said he was always going to keep his name. Jerusalem, Judah, probably always thought they were safe. Jeremiah saw how wicked the people were, how they turned away from God, and he had to witness not only the destruction of Jerusalem, but the temple itself, the temple that stood for 400 years. And think about that. America hasn't even been, what, we're 200 years? Think about a temple that's always been there that God said, yeah, that's when I'm going to keep my name, and now it's gone. So here's a little bit of um, Lamentations from Jeremiah. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she is she, who is great among the nations, the princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She whips bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into activity, under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecu persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The road to Zion, the roads to Zion mourn, because no one comes to the set feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted. She is in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper. But the Lord has afflicted her. Because of the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet, and with good reason. He had to, and because prophets don't only see what's going on physically, they hear it directly from the Lord. They see things differently. They see transgressions as probably the Lord sees it as much as a man could am. But why were they destroyed? Because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into activity before the enemy. Have you ever, have you ever kind of seen a theme or a running, a running theme in the Bible? Kind of a string that attaches one story to another? I hope so because there's lots of them. But 
Let's look at this. Because of the multi transgressions, she was punished. She being Israelites. Can we see that elsewhere in the Bible? If we look at Genesis, Genesis is famous for a lot of stories. But the thread we're going to follow is man was in the garden. He had multiple things to do. And he did keep, you know, God said, tend to the garden, name the animals. They did that. But he said, there's one thing I don't want you to do. See that tree over there? Don't eat anything from it. But they did. And what happened? They were kicked out of paradise. Didn't obey God, driven out of paradise. Then we go to chapter 4. If you look at chapter 4, starting in verse 8, <clears throat> you have this famous story here. Now Cain talked with his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on earth, and it will happen that when anyone finds me, they will kill me. So we got two points on this graph. <clears throat> Man was in the garden, didn't obey God, was kicked out. Cain killed his brother. For that, he didn't give a good sacrifice either. He was driven out. Here's something to reflect on too real quick. Hosea 4.6. I didn't have time. I wanted to see um, if Hosea was a contemporary of uh, of Jeremiah. But we have Hosea Chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because they have rejected knowledge. I also reject them from being priests for me, because they have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. That first sentence, though, has always got me, that first little bit. My people are distracted for lack of knowledge. How simple is it to acquire knowledge? All you really have to do is read. If you read and understand something, you got knowledge. Wisdom is a little bit harder because they got to take that knowledge and apply it. But um, for some, for a whole group of people to be destroyed just because of lack of knowledge, that's like willful laziness. Um, knowledge is the beginning. We're looking. We looked at. Genesis, we're going to go look at Numbers real quick. We're just going to reference it in Numbers 4 because we're looking at, uh, see if we can come up with a thread here. 
I'm sorry, Numbers 14. Number 14, we have the story that <clears throat> the, uh, just before that, they spent out, they, they were just, they were camped over here and here was the promised land. They sent out 12 spies to, to spy this land. They came back and 10 of them had an evil report. 10 said, we can't take this land. I know God promised it to us, but look, these people are too big for us. If we try to do this, they're gonna kill us and all of our children are gonna die and become slaves. It's just gonna be terrible. Two of them stood up and said, no, God has promised this, we need to go across. But the Israelites listened to the 10 rather than the other two. And because of that, God said that they would not, that this generation will not enter the promised land. They're gonna spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That generation that said that the children will become uh, slaves and will die, that generation will die off and the children they said they will um, die will go across and take over the land. So. We've got another occasion of not obeying God and the resulting consequences. And finally, we'll do a fourth point, which again goes back to lamentations. The people transgressed. Not only were they taken away, but the temple of God was also destroyed. Anyway, that was just a kind of a thought I had. We might get back to that later. So, after the five major prophets, 12 minor prophets, we have something um, between the Old and New Testament, if you ever, you'll hear this in Bible studies every now and then called the 400 years of silence. Basically, it's just God wasn't talking at that point. You don't have miracles, you don't have prophets. You won't have a prophet again until the New Testament with John. And since man likes to uh, group things together. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. And they're called the Gospel. It means good news. It's from Greek, like evangelos, I think. Um, when it's used as the noun, it's the person who brings great or, or a good tidings, great, no, great news. That could be of a military victory, a political victory, a personal victory, and when the people hear it, they're joyful, so it's a, it's a, uh, it's a story or news of good of good things. Um, when it's used as a verb, it's to tell of a good thing. The uh, the gospels is the good news about Jesus Christ. He came, tells us about his life and his teachings. The first three gospels are called synoptic. Sin, S-Y-N, means together. Optic is either eye or a uh, device that's used for seeing. So the first three Gospels can be considered synoptic Gospels. They can be seen together. Um, they have a lot of the same stories. They have a lot of the same stories in order. The um, John is not considered synoptic. I don't know if it's called non-synoptic. That might be a good word. But you can see its style is, is different. If you, ever, <clears throat> if you ever just really look at the first verses of those four, you'll see that um, John steps out of the lines. Still a very important one. We have what's called the preacher letters. That's 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. 
their letters to preachers. They're um, what preachers also study to learn how to present the Word of God. And we started with Genesis. We'll end with Revelation. Revelation, I like Oxford, uh, the Oxford language dictionary uh, definition. <clears throat> Divine or supernatural disclosure to humans relating to how they exist in the world. But it comes from Latin. Revelation means to lay bare. It's to reveal. And if you look at Revelation in Revelation 1, you find out that the full name really is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And that little line there, things that shortly must take place, is the, usually the first grounds about how revelation is not something that's going to be happening. The events in Revelation are going to be happening 2,000 years from the when, when this was made. That's a whole other, that's a whole other study. And then we have sin. In ancient, from the ancienthebrew.org, Hebrew, um, sin is kahata, I believe. It literally means to miss the mark. It's used differently in different places in the Bible. And that's just something very important to understand. We have to read our Bibles, we have to study our Bibles. Reading our Bibles, we get, we get the knowledge. But if you don't study it, you don't always understand what you're actually looking at. You don't get the, some of the finer details, put it that way. But let's look at Judges 2016. Okay, among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. The original meaning, the root of the word sin is to miss the mark. They used it as an archery term or in a sling. So you could, you could probably say, you know, they could... Um, Every man could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not sin. Sounds a little weird to us, though. When uh, there's, I went through the Strong's uh, Bible Concordance. It was dizzying, but all the, uh, it has the actual Hebrew dots and triddles. And uh, one thing meant like this, the other thing meant this and there was hardly any difference in the in the way the word looked to me. Okay. Ezekiel thirty fifteen is what we're going to look at next because this also uses the word sin, but it uses it in a way that 
Very few times does the Bible use sin in this fashion. But if you only know one way to define it, you come away with uh, Ezekiel um, 30.15 being kind of weird. This is God speaking. I will pour out my fury on sin, the strength of Egypt. I will cut off the multitude of no. So if you have one, one definition of sin, missing the mark, or an offense, doesn't, that line doesn't really help us very much. I mean, it's like, okay, God's mad, mad at Egypt's sin. Well, he's mad at, you know, he's, his anger is against all sin. My book does have a little um, asterisk here, and it says that this, in this case, it means um, ancient Pulisum, apparently that city. So sin, every now and then, is used in the Old Testament, at least, as either a region or name of a city. Like I said, it's not, it doesn't happen very often, but it's nice to know. And finally, sin is missing the mark as a moral statue. God has given us objective standards that we should aim for, that we should hit, we should do. Anytime we don't, that's sin. As we chase the threads from Genesis up back up to uh, Lamentations, we found out that anytime you don't obey God, anytime that you sin, that separates us from God. And that is the common understanding of the word sin. You missed the mark. And we're going to go th- um, Romans 3:23, which is a very famous um, quote. Romans 3:23, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." We can't not <laughs> sin. There's no, no way a person could re- lead a perfect life and always be together with God. Um, Jesus said, you know, what is impossible for man is possible with God, however. We know that Jesus came to earth to bridge that gap so that the sin that we're all under can be forgiven. Can be forgiven by a very simple thing. Repent. Be baptized, name Jesus as Lord and Savior, and be, and be baptized in his name, and, you, and walk in the newness of life. So if any of you have not obeyed the gospel yet, know that your sins are upon you. Just, that's how it is. If you have obeyed the gospel, but haven't been living, like you know, you know, you've been realizing how much you are missing the mark, you could come forward now. We can help. Please stand as we sing.